Enterprise is hosted by Gene Hopkins, Chief Revenue Officer, and Mayher Govadia, Lead QA Analyst at OneScreen AI. Backed with 30 plus years of experience in marketing technology and data, Gene builds sustainable customer and team relationships while bridging the gap between marketing and sales organizations. Mayher is bringing the stories of their team members in India, front and center, always looking for the unique skills and experiences they each bring to OneScreen AI. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our next edition of Table Fries. And with this particular episode, I want to introduce Tracy Wamet, who I have known for 21 years. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Jean. Good to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you. We go back 21 years because we have worked together. You created Broad PR mm -hmm. with Rachelle, yeah. and we were one of your early clients when we were at Data Me Business Solutions, which was acquired by Symmetricom, and you stayed with me during the Symmetricom days doing a ton of work for us. Yeah. And then I moved to another place and you came with us and I moved to another place and you came with us and you've been with me in a variety of different businesses, locations, but your specialty is really technology. I yes. mean, and B2B technology, especially that you really understand the marketplace and you've got a great team. I love Winston. Winston mm -hmm. is an amazing, he has such an excellent point of view. Yeah. Landon is fantastic. And Christine, yeah. oh, I couldn't live without Christine. No, Christine is yeah. like the number one cheerleader. She's she so awesome. She's the best. And she's so fast and she's so good at what she does. Absolutely. Yeah. And so for us in public relations, like I started my career in public relations for Milton Bradley Company, right. located in Western Massachusetts. That was their corporate headquarters. I remember getting my <laughs> PRSA certification in investor relations back in the day when I went to work for Lego, private company, still private. And I remember being able to get them on the front page of the Wall Street Journal at one point. And we also had a Supreme Court ruling, which was very interesting, about the eight stud brick. Was it protected by a patent, which the patent had run out? And so that, that was always very interesting. But I always look at public relations as being the original inbound marketing, mm -hmm. because yeah. if you're part, if you're constantly coming up with story ideas and hooks that are of interest to other audiences, you're not just going after the media. That's, that's an important part, but in trying to get conversations going, but actually being able to elevate things that are going on in your organization that may be ex interest externally and internally. Okay. And one of the things that I really enjoy about Broad PR is it's not just a bunch of press releases. Mm -hmm. You have helped us over the years win many, many awards by all the award submissions that your team has done. In addition, a lot of speaking opportunities. Mm -hmm. You've been able to get a speaking opportunities in terms of what you've been able to do for individuals in the organization to give us the chance to be able to evangelize about our individual companies or else just kind of build your own personal brand. That's something that you've been, and I'm going to say that is numbered in the hundreds. Mm -hmm. well, what do you think the biggest importance is about PR when you think about public relations? What do you think about, and you're great for coming up with the hooks, the ideas and the, what are you doing this month and what's happening? So we're coming into pride month and you're talking about what is the company going to do and mm -hmm. how are we going to talk about it? That's all very thinking ahead of the curve, but what do you think PR really is, Tracy? You know, Jean, I think it's, it's the same thing as any type of specialty or practice. It's relationships. 
And mm-hmm. it's the relationships that you have, not only with the media and maybe analysts, but with the other people that are making decisions about what your audience is seeing and, and what they're talking about. And it's relationships with influencers. It's relationships with with you. I mean, you are, because you do have a PR background, you are the very best person to to manage, to oversee, to just kind of let the PR team run with things. because you are doing the hard work internally to make sure that we get what we need. Sure, we're proactive, but you're also noticing things internally that someone that doesn't have a PR mind or someone that doesn't have that experience, they may not realize that there's something happening internally that might be good to share with the PR team, right? And so having that internal advocate, someone that can feed us the information that we need, both when we're proactively asking for it and also when we're waiting for it, right? We don't know what we don't know. So having that relationship with someone like yourself internally is so valuable. And you have the relationships internally that then are valuable to us. And then we have the relationships with the media, the analysts, the other influencers. I have to say relationships and having that internal advocate, hugely important. We have people that come to us and they say, hey, it's a startup or something. They've got this great idea. And they'll reach out to us and they'll say, hey, I want to be on the cover of Time Magazine or I want to be in Wall Street Journal. (laughs) And there are some PR people out there back in the day that would say, okay, for a certain amount of money, we will get you in the Wall Street Journal. We've never done that. We would never say that because what we commit to is a level of activity that we know should, based on our experience, result in the desired results, whether it's in Wall Street Journal or a speaking opportunity or an award or something. We'll commit to activity. We'll commit to doing the work we need to do that we know should result in something, but there are no guarantees. I mean, the other thing is timing. It's constantly being in touch. When I talk about relationships, it's constantly being in touch with the media, not just because you want something from them. I mean, think about the relative that you you only hear from when they want some money. We can't do that with people, let alone the media. We have to be in touch with them, kind of checking in, so forth. That's that relationship piece. And so there are times when you're checking in with a journalist and they'll come back to you and say, hey, funny you should check in today. I'm doing well. My family's fine, et cetera. But I'm actually working on this piece and I'm wondering if you have a client that might want to comment on it. So it's that being available and having that timing and and that relationship. And again, it's like friendships. It's like probably what you have to do in sales and, and other types of areas of the business. Just having those relationships, being in touch. And not only being in touch when you need something or want something, but literally caring about them, asking. During the pandemic, last few years, it's been politically, pandemic-wise, everything. It's been so tough on journalists. Now, in the business world, the journalists haven't been as, I should say, abused as maybe some of the mainstream journalists have been, but they've still taken a hit. Their industry, Mm -hmm. their their profession has really been under a microscope and it's been so criticized. They've been, they've had death threats, everything. So during the pandemic specifically, we had a practice of reaching out to our journalists every Friday. It was kind of like a fun Friday or whatever. And every Friday, just kind of reach out randomly to a journalist and say, Hey, I appreciate your work. I appreciate what you're doing for no other reason. I mean, no pitching, nothing, just saying, I care about you. I care about your work. I care about your profession. And that has been so meaningful and so important to the journalists. And we're going to continue that well past the pandemic. But we're dealing with people. We're dealing with humans. (laughs) 
And so yeah. telling a story and, and getting people to talk about it and getting them interested in it is one thing, but building those long-term relationships are another because just like in high tech, people go from job to job. We've worked uh-huh. with you at various companies and we're so thankful for that. And we will work for you for any time you need us because we have that, that synergy. We have that relationship. The same goes for the media, analysts, other influencers. They go to different publications. They go even to other jobs. Mm. And it's good to stay mm-hmm. in touch and have those relationships. Yeah. Well, you brought up something. I'm, I'm the daughter of a newspaper man. He was mm-hmm. the managing editor of the, the Union News in Springfield, Massachusetts for a number of years. Yeah. And he's still a guy that reads three newspapers a day. But when I go to visit my parents and I see mm-hmm. how little these newspapers are, yeah. how small, how narrow the lack of advertising and how so many have moved into an online format. And you can see there's a lack of to a certain degree of editorial control because you read the typos and you yeah. read the, it's it it is tough on many people in the media and it's hard for them to mm. stay on top yeah. of all the changes that are happening it's very interesting so well, and, yeah and so they're, i they're relying on us sorry they're relying on us for information right so i've seen right. i've seen people criticize and say hey they that's fake news or they printed the wrong thing. Well, you know, <laughs> we put out press releases, companies put out news, they put out stories and, and a journalist does have to fact check, but imagine if right. you get hundreds and hundreds of press releases a day, they have to, yep. there has to be some level of trust that this company is telling right. the truth and this news is true. Right. So right. it works both ways. I mean, people have complained about the media and said that they're fake news and yet this, the very same people complaining are the same people that have fed them some of that fake news. So it's on all of us to keep it real, keep the relationship going. And if mm-hmm. if information is is incorrect, we need to make it right. If it's if it's true, we need to really promote it. And yeah, I've noticed the same thing. Papers are smaller and there are typos. There are things in papers that I'm sure your dad must look at and think, what's happened to this industry? Well, it's sad, isn't it? So many newspapers going under. Right. It's the independence. Well, yeah. yeah. And you see all the clickbait kind of stories out there and you see these headlines and you click on it and then the story is is nothing or it's, you know, it's not really helping anyone. It's being driven by different resources. So it's not, I like a lot of the weekly publications. If they have the right kind of coverage from a very local perspective, that's where the dateline becomes so important. Being able to say, who, where are you writing from? I, I know we did a press release back in February and we put Minneapolis and Boston in there and we got pickup from Minneapolis and Boston yeah. on that particular dateline because right. we were doing something with tech stars there in Minneapolis. So yeah. that becomes, that's, that's a methodology in order to get some visib- visibility in what you're doing. Yeah. Let's move on and let's get out of this realm of hypotheses about how we're going to fix mainstream news. (laughs) Well, one thing I do want to say, because you just mentioned local media, people don't realize how important the local media, how important they are, because they actually, they report on, like, if there's a traffic accident or a homicide or something, that's where data is pulled from. I mean, it's pulled from if the local reporter reported on those things, if they didn't, we don't have a history of it. We don't have knowledge right. of it. And so 
Right. When when local reporting kind of goes south or it just kind of becomes this national thing or this online clickbait, we're actually losing a part of our history. So I'm I'm hoping that piano bars are coming back into style in New York City. I hope that <laughs> I hope that local reporting also comes back in style and that there are some up and coming journalists that are willing to to do that. Yeah, I, I think that was kind of the purpose of Patch, right? I yes. mean, that was the yeah. whole reason for Patch to to be very local. But there are still some there are, yeah. there are still some that are doing it, but it it it's not fundamentally. It's probably not a money maker. Cost. Yeah, it's not a money maker. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, got a couple of questions for you, Trace. Sure. How do you determine the priorities of your day <laughs> when you're not sick? <laughs> The priorities of my day, I do, like many people, I do have a task list and I do prioritize them based on, well, there's this kind of parallel track of what's urgent because it's timely and then what's urgent because it's it's necessary. And so there are things that kind of fall through the cracks, like on a personal level, things like stretching or working out or those they should be high priority, but they tend to fall down that list. And then a press release that's that hits at 8 a.m. and then pitching it right when it hits, that becomes high on the list and other things kind of shift and move around. And then when we have a situation where you say, hey, we've got this need, we've got to do this thing or something has hit and we want to comment on it, we'll drop mm-hmm. everything and go and, and look at those things. And so you have to build in some time in your day to react to things. So it's that parallel track of listing out the priorities, but then having some time to just shift, shift priorities. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what I do. Oh, it does. And, yeah. and, and one of the ways that you deal with it is you're in our Slack channel yeah. at one screen. We, we have a channel, PR Queens, and of course <laughs> with Jenna Kaysen, yeah. who is uh, the other PR queen that that's we right. have that yeah. she's so excellent in terms of providing context and making things happen. And plus she's also Sam, our CEO's personal handler. Yeah. Uh, so a wrangler, maybe I should call her a wrangler. That's so, right. I mean, it's, you, exactly. you do have a good in-house team. Plus Jenna does a great mm-hmm. job internally of working with other team members, her peers to be able to see what's coming down the horizon. What okay. can we do? What can we work on? So in addition to the Slack channel, we also have a weekly meeting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to review what what are we working on and then Christine also keeps a a log of the backlog of what we're going to be working on and then you also work with Sharisti who actually post things to our our media page on our website so right. you've got a lot of interaction and a lot of influence within the organization well we're part of the team right and that's how yeah absolutely yeah, that's, how, you know, that's how companies can really benefit from their PR vendor and probably other vendors as well. It's ensuring that they're part of the team. We're in Slack. We're right. seeing when people are celebrating birthdays. We're seeing when right. something exciting is happening at the company, when there's a holiday right. in India or some tragic thing has happened to someone and they need to take time off, whatever. We're part of that. We're part of the team. It's not like you can't do PR in a vacuum. You've got to You've got to know everything that's going on. And PR is just one piece of your whole marketing outreach. So it cannot be done in a vacuum and it needs to have these other points of knowledge and, and expertise. And so that's why it works really well. OneScreen has such a great team and we are really honored to be a part of the team. I'm honored to be in your orbit. You know that. 
But I'm also honored to be on a team that you've put together because that's one of your superpowers is putting together a great team. And so it's always an honor to be a part of it. And that's how you can be successful is that communication. And we'd rather have more communication than not. Some people think, well, I don't want to send that email or I don't want to slack my vendor or whatever, because we work on a retainer basis. We don't work on nickel and diming. We don't work on like, okay, you're over hours this month. So we're going to charge you extra. No, it's, we're part of the team. Just think of us as another member of the team. And that's how we work. And that's what works best. That is exactly how you work. And you do do the pass through on business wire costs and that sort of thing. And over the years, when you've gone over and above, I forgot which company, it could have been Lola.com. I think during the course of one year, I believe it was 2019, you did 125 press releases. I think there was some yeah, obscene was <laughs> number. It was crazy, right? It was right. absolutely crazy. Yeah. We had so many things going on yeah. and you guys were able to stay ahead of the curve on that. What is your team's most ambitious goal or challenge right now? What do, what do you think our biggest goal would be? Right now, we want to make sure that The audience we're trying to reach, the different audiences we're trying to reach, we want to make sure they understand what one screen is doing. We want to, we want them to understand what out of home is. I like to think of it as, I mean, there's social media and then there's like public media. I don't know. Uh OOH is the term that's used in the industry. And I think there's a lot of people who don't realize that when you wrap a van, when you have a billboard, when you have those displays at your dentist office or whatever it may Mm -hmm. be, that's considered Mm -hmm. out of home advertising. And you know what? It's it's not old school. It's the way people are seeing and reacting to things. And what's neat about one screen is that you guys have been able to like modernize it. You've been able to put it into like, like we have Google ads and stuff. You've been able to put it into a platform where people can manage it and test it and see it. And I mean, that's amazing. How do you get that story out there? And how do you let people know about it? Because people in the out-of-home industry, they know about it. They're learning more about what one screen does. But how, right. how, do you, how do you educate people who could take advantage of it? I mean, there's consu- there are consumers who could take advantage of it. There are other businesses that could take advantage of it. And so our, our goal for this year is to make sure that we're having uh, a reach beyond the, the folks that already know about it. We want to educate the people who know about it. Like we want to educate them on the way we do it. We want to educate right. them on why, how we're doing it. We believe is that next generation of, of activity and next generation for the for the this space. But we want to also reach people who just don't have a clue. And so that's always a challenge. One of the things we're doing is landing bylined articles. We just landed one uh-huh. for Sam. And so we're writing that up. And that's the other thing we do. We pitch and we land articles from thought leaders like Sam or yourself or some other person that has expertise. And then we'll interview them, we'll write the article, they can kind of tweak it and provide edits, and then we submit it. And that's a thought leadership piece. It's not a salesy piece. It's not anything but thought leadership. And one of the things that I'm really proud of that we did right right off the gate when we started working with you guys was getting that byline article in the Boston Business Journal. And it it was an article. Oh, that was great. Yeah. It was, was, and Sam had to, you know, Sam said something outrageous, like companies are taking too much money. I mean, remember during the pandemic, 
we've got these workers at grocery stores and healthcare workers, and we've got these people just going through it. And then we have these other people who are like us working from home. Business isn't too highly affected. In fact, there are a lot of people that became billionaires over the pandemic and they were getting money like crazy. And Sam had this contrarian thought that, you know what? People are actually getting too much money. You don't need that much money to run a business. And let me tell you why. And that was such a twist from what we're seeing out there. And the Boston Business Journal just loved it. And his piece sparked a lot of interest and a lot of conversation. Well, it's interesting now, in retrospect, with what's happening right now with the economy and with Mm -hmm. a number of tech companies that raised a lot of money, hired fast, spent a ton of money, and now what are they forced to do? They're either fridge no more or fast or any number of companies that are freezing hiring, cutting staff. I I just heard, I can't remember what the name of the company was, that they just laid off 10% of their, their staff yesterday. Yeah. And another technology company that they're just, people are just cutting costs, cutting, 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 because yeah. right now with the economy, the way that it is, that it's going to be 24 to 30 min- months before we come out of this on the other end, because the days of wild spending and the days of wild venture funds uh, paying over premium for a company is, Mm -hmm. is changing dramatically. So that I love his, we we should redo that. We should repost that somewhere about his crystal ballishness about being able to see into the future about, you don't need that much money in order to be effective. No. And in fact, you have to be, you're a steward of your money, your time, everything. Yes. And and, you have some fiscal responsibility. Exactly. And you have a background in, in finance and things as well. So that's, that's a great thing for you. You're, you've also been able to, to do that in managing the PR side is looking at what's a good ROI and what are we spending on this or that and not throwing tens of thousands of dollars a month on a large firm. Instead, you're working with us again and we're a boutique firm and we're going to do what we can to get the job done and we're part of the team and you've placed a value on that over the big, big, big company, I don't need big, a- big PR right. that really isn't you're going to spend more money on their admin and and other resources. Well, it's feeding the machine, right? Exactly. Like any agency. It's like you've got an office, you've got leases, you've got overhead, you have an office manager, but you guys have always run remotely. So you don't have a big machine, you don't have the leases, so you can pay your team well. But what I've observed is you with your Surface One uh, (laughs) going going everywhere and, and being able to do everything on the fly. It doesn't matter where you work. That's a huge advantage because so many organizations just build up and that's what's happening or or happen when, when you have a lot of excess money, you feel like you have to put it somewhere Mm -hmm. and, and then you end up building this something that you don't need. I reached out to Paul English and I asked him because we're trying to get together at one screen, the executive team to get together at the end of June. And I, I said, do you have any office space that I could borrow for a couple of days? And he said, we're totally virtual. And this is after a guy when we moved Lola.com, I know, from Summer Street to One Financial Plaza, and he realized we shouldn't have done that. In retrospect, everything is like, we moved there. You remember the ribbon cutting in December? We had, it was a great event. It was an awesome event. And then March 12th, the office was closed. Nobody ever went back. And so you look at those types of things and try to make those changes. 
So I like this one up, one down kind of question. Hmm. What's the one decision that's had the biggest impact, not necessarily on your growth, but has had the biggest impact on you over the past year? What's the one decision that's had the most impact on you? The one decision, the one decision, oh, this last year, just continuing to pay our people, even if, if clients can't pay us, we still pay our people. At the end of the day, clients do come through. It sometimes takes time. We did have some clients over the pandemic that had some issues, couldn't pay on mm-hmm. time or, or couldn't pay for quite a while. And the decision to, which is always our decision, we're going to pay our people. So if right. I don't get paid, that's okay, as long as I can make sure our people get paid. And so that decision isn't something that's only happened this past year. It's happened through many times over the last 20 something years. But yeah. if I think about this past year, that's that's probably one decision that I would continue to do over and over again. And, and one of the things you do as well with the retainer is it's a prepay. You send me an invoice on the first of the month and you expect to get it 30 days later. Right. And that retainer relationship, you don't pay after the fact. You have a contract, you have a contract and agreement with the finance team that no. you're going to get paid in this manner. And you also have follow-up that you have to deal with as well, because getting paid is pretty important for any organization. And then when sometimes when expenses get behind in an organization and they're trying to conserve cash for what, because you deal with a lot of startups and right, sometimes they're exactly. in a position where they have to yeah. conserve cash. So communicating is a key there. So if, if, Uh and like you say, we work with startups and early stage companies. So we understand Uh sometimes you have to like rob Peter to pay Paul, so to speak, you've got to shuffle money so that you can do what you need to do for your investment team. So Uh when you communicate with your vendor like us and just say, Hey, you know what? We're not going to get you on that 30 days, but we're going to get you on 45 and this won't happen again, or let's reevaluate, or this is where we're at. That kind of conversation right. goes a long way because you realize as a vendor, you, you don't want to keep working and keep doing things and not get, it gets to be a month or two. Not, done that. Over the right. last 20 years, right. you know, we've had startups that, uh, I mean, we started the business like a week before 9-11. And so our anchor client was a company called Intava and they don't even exist anymore, but they were doing this mobile, they were really ahead of the curve. They were doing mobile simulation. I was in Seattle, Washington on September 10th. And I flew back, landed in Logan, September 10th, like at midnight, like right before that next morning. And I was living in Nashua, New Hampshire. And I went up and then we had everything. We had interviewed people the week before we had. So we had all these stories in like Mobile Week publication and like Wired, like all these publications were going to run with this story that we were launching this company. And of course, 9-11 hit. And I think it was 8.45 or something when it, the first the first plane hit. And so the release already went out at 8. And so everything right. that was going to be covered that day was stopped. And so our, our anchor client, we launched the business and they couldn't pay us. And it was like, and we had put a lot, I mean, we'd flown to Seattle. I'm sure. Done media training right. for the people. We had done all of this stuff and they couldn't pay us. But it was such a tragic time, like for all of us, right? So we, right, we right. were twenty or thirty thousand dollars in the hole, which is for a few people. A brand new company, brand yeah. New company, it was a lot, and so, but we knew that we had to continue to help them, and it became one month, and two months, and three months. And do you know, a year and a half later, they paid us back. 
that says a lot about their character because after 90 days or something, you're thinking you're not going to get it. It's bad debt. They did yeah. us back and, and we actually helped them all that year and a half. <laughs> we helped them as much as we could and we actually helped them get funding. We helped them get acquired. We, we, we also helped ourselves out of a client because they got acquired and did other things. <laughs> we often do that, right? Like we help companies raise a big round or get acquired and then they they hire internally or they, they have a team that they, yeah. that already does PR because they got acquired by like IBM or something, but I've <laughs> like done that seven, 10, 15 times over in the last 20 years. And, and I'm proud of that, but we do work ourselves out of a business. I don't, I don't know where I was going with that, but I was just telling you that sometimes having the conversation and letting people know where you're at in terms of whether it's payment or even getting back to you, you got a story, you're on deadline, let us know either yep. way because we're, our reputation's on the line. When we talk to the journalists and we say, yes, our client is going to answer that question. And then the deadline <laughs> passes, yeah. we have to answer to them. So it's, it's again, working together and it's having that relationship with you internally, as well as the, the media. Yeah, that's great. So two more questions. Can you give a wicked loving shout out to a team member? Oh yeah. I, my wicked loving shout out is to Christine. Christine Snyder yeah. is bar none, the most amazing person I've ever worked with. She's fast. She's consistent. She's good. I don't know how she writes stuff with the very little information <laughs> that she'll get. Just like, I know she does. Bullet points. <laughs> That's so true. It. And she's so uh, Jenna and I both love her. <laughs> She's fantastic. And she writes abstracts and she, she finds speaking opportunities and award opportunities. Oh, she but, does. But she not does. only that, she's just a really good person. She's, yes. you want to work with people that you like. And that's why, right. that's again, why we follow you anywhere you go, Jean, because you want to work with people you like. You want to work with people that you trust, that you respect. You have character bar none. And that's, that's who we want to work with. And I know you feel the same for us. We're going to do what we can. We're good. We've got your back. And so my shout out is to Christine because she's got all our backs. She's, uh, she's amazing. Yeah. yeah. She is. That's, that's great. Okay. So what's your ringtone? What is your ringtone? My ringtone is a boring Android, whatever it is. So that's my ringtone. <laughs> I need okay. to do something fun, but it's, it's, it's a boring <laughs> Android ringtone. So I have an Android and you know, I have a surface, so I'm definitely not an Apple girl. So that's or an Apple broad, so to speak. <laughs> An apple broad. <laughs> Thank you, Tracy. Thank you for being on Table Fries. As always, it's great talking to you and learning from you. So thanks so much. Thanks, Jean. I appreciate being here and uh, appreciate working with you. You've been listening to Table Fries with hosts Jean Hopkins and Mayher Govadia from One Screen AI. Jean and Mayher set out to interview every woman working at One Screen AI. At Table Fries, there's always room to share. So grab small plates and don't forget the dipping sauce. Check out your favorite podcast apps or visit us at tablefries.com where the most current episodes will always be waiting for you. Table Fries, where sharing is caring. Oh.